This episode is sponsored by Auxilio Partners, providing the business management and technology expertise your church needs. Find out more at auxilio.partners slash five points. You're listening to the Five Points Church Planning Podcast, where two church planners try to make one good point. My name is Reed, and I'm the intern pushing all the buttons. Today on the pod, we're continuing our conversation on the phases of church planting, and we're moving into launching a public worship service. It's strictly business for the guys today, so let's get to it. Hey, Hunter, how are you doing today? Hey, John, doing well. Um, Busy doing the church planting thing, as I'm sure you are, and glad to be able to hop on this podcast and talk about advancing the kingdom this morning. Yeah. Yeah. So busy that we can't even come up with a funny opening. So no, we're just going to jump into it today. You're and, right about uh, that. <laughs> uh, so we've been doing a little series here on the phases of church planting. And uh, now we're introducing what we're calling phase three. Hunter, what's phase three of church planting? John, I think lead up to to your launch service and then the period of time after you have held your first service publicly as a church plant. Yeah. Um, when I began having meetings with our people, I, I put this little timeline out there and I said, we're, we're gathering, we're planning. And ultimately one of our kind of points was launch because it's such a significant uh, event to take place during your church plant, um, even leading up to it, saying like, now is the time, you know, most people were already pretty all in, but now we're actually a thing. <laughs> well, right. you don't have to go to some other church the other weeks, you know, maybe we've, we've been doing some preview services or something, but now you're really um, taking on the identity of uh, a worshiping community meeting each week. And so it's very hard to undervalue how significant that shift is, not only for your church and, and having an identity and having some sense of uh, you're not so weird anymore. Uh, people, right. <laughs> hey, sure. when's your church meet? Well, now we have an answer to that question. But right. also, yeah. Uh, yeah, just it's really, it feels like a goal you reach, but it's really the beginning of, right. of the, the life of your church moving forward. Right. Yeah, we had a guy in our core group the other day. We were talking about meeting as a core group on Sunday evenings and transitioning to worship and then setting a date for a launch service. And he said, it feels like we're in double secret mode before we have the launch service. And I think for us, in light of the fact that we're dealing with COVID, there's some truth to that, that, that it's hard to invite people to something on Sunday evening that's called a core group meeting. Even though you do and people do come, having that public worship service on Sunday morning is a significant help, I think, more so to the core group than to the church planter. Yeah. um, You know, it's funny. uh, I remember always hearing that everybody in a church plant goes to their perfect church until you launch. And uh, that's when they realize, oh, that's what the service is like, or that's what our music is going to sound like, or <laughs> whatever it is. Uh, it actually begins to give you this, you know, actual lived body experience of everything you've been talking about up to this point. 
now that's not necessarily going to be a huge disappointment to people, but there's a, there's this, uh, you know, incarnational reality that it's not theoretical anymore. All of a sudden, you know, Hey, the bulletin is in my hand or the music is on the projector, whatever it is, all of right. the things that a lot of people maybe haven't thought about in the pastor has kind of been doing behind the scenes. Um, now they're putting that forward and, and experiencing it as a body. I, I'll, I'll tell you, I have a vivid memory uh, of our launch service. I guess technically it was our, our first preview service, but some of those begin to blend in your mind. But sure. uh, of the first time we got together, had a, an official worship service. And when I went and sat down in the, you know, whatever, the front row or, and sang the first hymn and could hear the people singing behind me, Right. It was just kind of this surreal experience that we have been plodding along this path for so long. And uh, here it is, it's happening. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was just, it was sure. a great uh, moment. Yeah, it was. I remember, so for those who are listening for the first time, I am working on my second church plant. Uh, we had not started a worship service yet, but in my first church plant, I'll, I'll never forget that launch service. We didn't do any, services beforehand in terms of opening the doors to the public. It was sort of a private thing. On some level, we were practicing worship, but it was real worship. It was just for our core group. So we had our launch service, and I told the group, do not invite your relatives. Do not invite your next-door neighbors who are churched. We don't need gooseneckers, if you will, and I walked into the service and we had like 185 people in the service. <clears throat> and I quickly realized <laughs> that it was all family members and the next door neighbors and, and our core group. And then the next Sunday, I think we were back down to 60 mm -hmm. and people are coming up to me. Well, you know, what happened? Did they not like our service? Did they not like us? And, you know, I had to explain to them that you, everyone invited their, their family and their close friends who ultimately long-term would not be a part of the church plant. And so I said, really the second Sunday is, is the true test. And here we go. Yeah. There's always that overinflated initial people coming from out of town. I know when we launched, you know, we had elders from our oversight church. I had another church planter that came just to kind of he was interested to see what our church was going to look like. So there was so many just kind of guests and friends and people wishing you well along the way. But before you get to this launch point, uh, maybe we can spend a few minutes talking about, you know, what are the things you need in order to launch? I mean, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, core group gatherings and all that. How, what does it look like to ramp up uh, yeah. to launch? What are kind of the key, you know, right. markers that you need to have? Well, John, we're, in a very unusual position because of COVID, but we meet on Sunday nights as a core group and we have been going through the book of Acts and we have also been learning about, in essence, church planning 101. In February, we are moving to Sunday morning and we're going to start having worship as a core group. Now, this is not the time that people are going to walk in off the street. We're not putting up signs. We're not putting up banners. We're not doing any advertising because COVID makes it challenging to be completely honest. So we're looking at a launch date when school resumes in August. I think the 
vaccines will have had a chance to make their rounds throughout the country and hopefully Lord willing, maybe we should stop and pray about this, but that COVID will have died down by August of 21. So we're shooting for that date for our launch. Until then, we're going to be having worship together as a core group on Sunday mornings. And I want to use this opportunity to begin to prepare them for what worship will be like publicly, what our worship service is going to be like. I don't want it to be a surprise to them. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to talk about how you integrate people, visitors, people that are unchurched, people that are de-churched into your worship service over the life of your church. So we've chosen a particular date. We're going to begin to work towards that date as a core group. And, you know, I want to help them understand that it's not going to be perfect and it's going to take time to get things right in terms of, look, I'll put the spotlight on me to begin with the sermon and the music and even smaller things like a children's message or how do we do the tithe or how do we welcome visitors? What is the bulletin going to look like? We may arrange the chairs different ways four or five times. There's a lot that has to go into the service in terms of getting it prepared for that launch date. Yeah. So what you're describing sounds like what we did for our preview services. We did it monthly leading up to launch. And, uh, but even before that, it, I had kind of categories in my mind of kind of key roles on a Sunday morning that we needed to have filled uh, teams of people who would own uh, what, you know, the, basically we had uh, people who were setting up anything outside of the sanctuary. So the, the lobby, the signs outside, any sort of hospitality we're doing, the greeters, uh, you know, do we want people to have a name right. tag, you know, thinking through all of those things. You sure. know, I didn't want to have to do that all on my own, but also giving people um, opportunity to kind of think through those things. Uh, and also meeting monthly, uh, a lot of our people were still involved in other churches or able to mm -hmm. visit other churches. And I said, you know, if you go to a church, take one of their visitor cards or sure. make a note about what they did for, you know, did the person open a door for you? Did you appreciate that? Are people talking to you? Does it seem phony or does it seem genuine? What, what made it feel genuine? And just kind of, right. Kind of like what you're saying, it's a trial and error. And as yeah. we're going forward, we have people that have specific focuses in mind and, uh, and we're, we do it once. And then we kind of had a debrief session uh, the next week to kind of say, Hey, what went well? Um, you know, how, how did the hospitality go? How did the service go? You know, what was confusing for ushers or musicians and, you know, all the little awkward things that might happen early on. So I think a big piece is training leaders to own those individual ministries on a Sunday morning. Some of them are, you know, so behind the scenes, you might not know about it, right. but, you know, setting up, taking down, passing right. a plate, you know, right. even having a plate. I mean, it's like, sure. what are we going to do? How are we mm -hmm. going to do a baptism? How are we going to do an offer? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just all that. Do we want to put a sheet over the communion table? There's mm -hmm. so many little details that uh, you can draw in these little teams of people to help you launch that can have an eye for those things and help you think through what yeah. you need to do. Yeah, those teams are important. And it's hard for church planners, John, to, you know, they're used to doing everything. And so on Sunday morning, they want to, particularly when you, you get closer to launch 
launching your service or you have launched your service, you'll be in the habit of showing up on Sunday morning and you want to do this and you want to do that and you want to help set up this and set up that. But really at this point in the life of the church plant, you need to have teams and volunteers that are doing it for you because you need to be focused on the sermon and the worship service. And so you need to tell your core group, look, I've been doing all of this leading up until this time, but I really need to prepare my heart and my mind and my soul for the service and for the sermon. And so please understand that I'm not going to be there when all of this is happening. Um, I would challenge church planners to really prepare the core group for this. You don't need to be there setting up tables and moving chairs on Sunday morning. Now you can help afterwards. Absolutely. It's funny because uh, I suck at that a lot. <laughs> <In fact, laughs> and part of it's not so much that I feel like I need to do it all. Um, yeah. But I actually like those interactions along the way. I, I want to see the people that are coming in, especially, you know, there's a visitor coming. I like the idea that, you know, I can be there to just say hi or whatever. Sure. Uh, and maybe I am a micromanager. No, definitely. I am a micromanager, but, right. um, I, it's, I don't think there's ever been a time where I've like showed up 10 minutes before service, like yeah. went into an office and prayed for five minutes and then yeah. everything was ready to go. I, I'm in the right. mix and, and part, some of that's personality wise. I do think you're right. It's healthy to be able to have it set up in a way that it doesn't revolve around the planter. Um, and, and I've had to continue to make that possible, even though I'm there oftentimes, you know, I've been gone the past uh, month or two. I've taken a few weeks of vacation. And so I have to, uh, yeah, right, at whatever I do on Sunday has to be filled in by somebody else. And so um, that's forced my hand a bit more in some of that as we've, uh, you know, had off weeks where, uh, you know, new volunteers are helping or, or I'm not there or whatever it is. And so I, I do agree that the need to delegate is one that is hard. Uh, especially for me, uh, but it is necessary. And it also gives your people more ownership in the ministry of the church, especially um, in those early days of who's in charge of this. You know, that's the guy it's not, and not everything is the pastor and, uh, and just allowing people to own that is, is a healthy rhythm. Yeah. So I, you know, I would tend to be a little OCD. I don't know where I am in terms of being a micromanager. I, I, tend to think I'm not, but I'm, I know that I'm a slightly OCD, not in a clinical sense, but in we'll have human. to ask Reed whether you're a micromanager. Yeah, true. <laughs> and, um, but I would, I would get there early to greet visitors and welcome visitors and to spend time talking to people that weren't involved with setup and takedown. But I really did try to stay away from setup and takedown so I could focus on visitors and people standing around and getting ready for the service. Um, and, and that's hard as a church planner because when you've, from the very beginning, you've had your fingerprints on, on everything. And that's just significant as you move towards launch. And after you launch is you, you need to have all of the teams and all of the leaders in place to help you do ministry and to focus on the things that you're, where you're gifted. Yeah. And, and regardless of how somebody wants to go about their involvement early on as a church planter and those things. I think that uh, the takeaway here is that you want to ha- be intentional about why you're doing it. You know, if you want to be there to talk to people as they're coming in, inter- interacting with guests, if you want to be the side-by-side pastor where, you know, maybe your church, everybody shows up early and everybody sets up and everybody, I mean, that might work for a while, 
but the, I think the, the takeaway here is that you want to do that intentionally uh, and know that things might have to change over time. You know, right. that's, sure. you know, there's always, everything is always changing. You're always going to be having new volunteers. There's always going to be a setup change. There's all those kind of things happening. And so I think a, a good leader is always just being intentional about why they're doing it uh, right. and then helping yeah. make it happen. Sure. So, yeah. so I want to transition to another topic that, uh, you know, I'd heard going into church planting was, was common, but now I've experienced it. Oh, sure. so much, which is uh, facility. Mm, uh, yeah. So if you're going to have a worship service, you have to have a place right. where you're going to worship. What historically has been uh, your experience with the, uh, ability to lock down and have consistent facility for worship services. It's, it's important, John, in my first church plant, before we built our own church, we met in 11 different places and we met in a movie theater. We met in two different high school gymnasiums. We met in an arts auditorium and we met outside once. Uh, this was <laughs> <laughs> well before COVID just circumstantial situation, mm -hmm. but it's important to find the right place to meet the right place to have worship until you have your own facilities, whether you build or you rent and, and, and craft the building to your own needs. I would encourage church planters to think about a couple of things. One, if you're thinking through a school, do they have an auditorium? It's a lot easier to meet in an auditorium than in the gym. Number two, is, an is it an elementary school? Elementary schools are significantly better for a church plant than, say, middle schools or high schools because they've thought through children and young children mm. in particular. Uh, the third thing I would say is location, location, location. My brother is a commercial real estate developer, and he could sit here for the next hour on this podcast and talk about people who would not listen to him when they bought a property and thought through the location and how often those businesses fail. Churches, particularly church plants, need to think through location. Where are we situated in our community? Will our banners be seen? Will our signs be seen? Is there foot traffic? Is there tire traffic? Are people paying attention to this particular area? Look, I know that sometimes where you meet is driven by the cost. I understand that. But as a new church plant, desirous of meeting people and reaching people who are unchurched and de-churched, you've really got to think about, are we visible? Because if you end up in a tucked away location that's hard to find, that's not on the beaten path, you could be in trouble no matter how hard you try and no matter how well you network. Yeah. You know, there's been a little shift in terms of if somebody wants to be able to find your church, right? Everybody can look it up on a phone and they use GPS to get there. But, um, you know, the fleeting nature of facility has been surprising to me. So we, we started by meeting in a hotel conference center, that was actually really nice. It had its own separate entrance. Um, it was set up nicely that we got to use all of their sound equipment. I mean, there was a lot of really good things about it. Um, you know, fast forward a few months after meeting there for just more like preview services and meetings. 
Um, we signed a contract long-term, worked with the salesman. It was really great. We had this great relationship. And then that person left and a new manager came in and it just blew up in a moment. Uh, we had just launched and basically it just went off the rails really fast. And so funny, I think this is this great place and I feel like we're getting a good deal. And I start going to, around town looking at other places because uh, it takes forever to find a place. There's just churches are weird. You don't want to sign a five-year lease in a commercial space. You know, you're, you're looking for temporary things like schools. So like in our city, you can't even have a reoccurring event in a school. You can only do like one-off events. So schools were off the table. Um, you know, you're thinking about meeting in other churches. The Seventh-day Adventist church meets on Saturday. So everybody tries to get that one. Uh, there were four other churches meeting in the Seventh-day Adventist building in our town. So everywhere I looked, it was very, very packed. YMCA had three different churches meeting in three different dance studios. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. Uh, and I started going back to hotels and looking at all these different room rentals. And I realized how weird it was mm -hmm. walking into these hotels. And I thought, yeah. this is probably, you know, I think if you came to our church and went into this separate entrance, the experience of that would be good and yeah. what we wanted it to be. Right. But just the category now in my mind, after going to every hotel in town and seeing their room was, this is a weird place to meet. Uh, yeah. mm -hmm. I got they you. meet at that hotel, they meet at the Hilton, they meet at the, you know, Marriott, whatever. Um, and it was like, yeah, that was a blind spot I had. I became excited about it. And, uh, and I thought it was greater than it was. And mm -hmm. so we moved on to another space and that worked out pretty well. And then COVID shut us down. I mean, we've been in so many different places now. Um, and even in meeting in a church now in the afternoons. So we rent a church in the afternoons, which is by the way, super easy to set up and take down and yeah, right. a great partnership with the host church. They sure. like having us there. I think it helps them out. We get to use their equipment. We even use their printer. I mean, tremendous partnership there. Um, but I realize nothing is certain. You, you want to start printing out flyers for your church service, print the minimum amount possible because mm -hmm. <laughs> by mm -hmm. the time you hand them out, you're yeah. they're probably going to be outdated. Your service yeah. is going to change. Yeah. Time's going to change. Location's right. going to change. So John in, in, in football, you know, when you play cornerback, they talk about having your head on a swivel. Mm. And I would tell church planners, if you find your dream location, you need to have your head on a swivel. You need to constantly be looking at where could we go next? And I'm the place where we meet is fine. It's great. I don't, it's inexpensive. It's in a good location, but I always have my head on a swivel for another possibility. Um, another location. Those are things that I'm thinking about on a regular basis in our particular situation, John, you would think in the Bible belt, it would be easy to find a place to meet. We, met with 21 different locations and were turned yeah. down 21 mm -hmm. times. And so the place where we are meeting is a Christian school, which is actually in Germantown, Tennessee, next door to Carterville, Tennessee. The school is one mile from Carterville. We could not find a place to meet in Carterville. And so what we did was we rented some office space. It's very nice. It's very spacious. Is near the town square, which is still, I know a lot of downtowns and small towns and rural towns in suburbia that they've died for the most part, or in many situations they died. Ours is not, ours is very vibrant. 
so we were very fortunate to find office space slash ministry space near the historic square in Carterville, even though we meet in the city next door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And having your foot in the area you want to be is important. Uh, you know, we have a, we have an office and we have our meeting place and they're not the same. And, uh, you know, that helps with consistency with mailings and all those kind of things. But, um, but yeah, you know, it, we talk about having a, a location and a place that's easy to find and maybe even set up particularly uh, in a way you would like, maybe aesthetically. You always have to hold all these things in tension because there's, there's budget, there's location, there's aesthetics. I mean, I'll tell you what, meeting in a middle school gym is aesthetically terrible. Probably, you know, there's basketball hoop behind yeah. you, right? And Correct. so, you, you know, there's always going to be trade-offs. There's no perfect thing because you don't, you have limited resources. If you had unlimited resources, go build the building that you want to build uh, and you still won't like it when it's done. Right. Um, and so all of that, right, all of this stuff that we're talking about, um, I think one of the primary goals in the back of your mind as you're planting a church and looking to launch is to remove as many hurdles as you can from people finding you, from people visiting you, from people uh, falling through the cracks, you know, having, thinking through all of the things you have to do. Uh, you know, I, I hate the word assimilation. It sounds weird, but the sure. idea that uh, if, if I want to find your church, mm-hmm. Or if somebody invites me to your church, or if I drive by, mm-hmm. what is that experience going to be like if I know absolutely nothing about you? Right. Yes, um, absolutely. You know, is the sign going to be pointing in the right direction? Is there even a sign? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, does the sign have a time on it? Mm-hmm. Um, is there going to be somebody to open the door for me? Mm-hmm. Uh, do I need a bulletin? Do I need a hymnal? Do I need, you know, to know something about the service? Uh, is the pastor going to be talking like he knows everybody and I'm going to feel like I'm obviously not part of this group. There's so many dynamics that go into launching a church. And, and I really think that kind of outward focus, assuming nobody knows what's going on. It's actually helpful in like my context. Most of our people in our core group weren't part of a reformed church before. And so I've always been intentional uh, for, for them early on, for all of our kids and especially for visitors to not yeah. assume that we all know what's going on in our service. And so welcoming visitors, you know, even something as simple as saying, hey, my name is is John St. Martin, I'm the pastor of Resurrection Church. And I look out and the 40 people, I know all of them, they all know my name, but you're creating this culture and this worship service that is, um, what would you say? It's approachable for anybody that's gonna come. Right, winsome. yeah. Winsome and, and, and winsome and forward looking. John, one of the things that we did in our my first church plant is I had for the first twelve months after we launched our worship service, I had ten people that I knew in the city who were not well, half were in PCA churches in other churches, the other half were in other denominational traditions. And I asked them to come one Sunday. And I sent them a, an evaluation form, mm. got feedback from them on everything. Was it easy to find? Tell me about parking. Tell me about walking yeah. into the church. Tell me about what it was like to be greeted. How was the worship? Everything. Now, there were some things that I think maybe that 
we just did agree to disagree because they came from a different tradition than us, but it was unbelievably helpful to, to guide me in, not in our content of worship, but it helped guide me regarding what all we were doing, everything from setup and takedown to greeting people to signage, everything. And yeah. it, we did it again when, or I did it again with just a handful of people when we built our building. Funny, one of the things that, you know, we had built this big expensive building with architects and a building designer and so forth and so on. We have our first service and one of the visitors that I invited to do this pointed out, I could not figure out where the bathrooms were. <laughs> yeah. And we had not put up signs for the bathroom, something as little as that. But there were things that were much larger that were brought to my attention that, that, that was very helpful. John, the other thing I wanted to say in light of what you mentioned earlier about facilities and building and signage and is no matter how hard you try, understand it's never going to be perfect. Definitely. We, we finally, in my first church plant, landed in a great situation. It was at a very trafficked intersection in our community we were able to put up a huge banner. John, I think it was, I don't want to over-exaggerate here, but I think it was 10 feet by 8 feet. And we hung it on a on the fence, and it was super visible. It had the time on it. It had the website address. We're in this prime spot in our community. We were able to put the sign up on Saturday mornings, and we could take it down on Sunday nights. And I ran into people all the time who drove by that location every single day and they had no idea we were there. Yeah, that's right. I, I often say, even for websites and logos and all these, your name, your church, it's important, but it, is, it will gain you nothing, right? Your location, your service, uh, all those things, they're all important and they, they feed into the identity of your church, but that's not going to grow your church at all. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And it, and, it, and it may not even be as aware as you think it yeah. might be. John, you said earlier in one of our podcasts that the church plant is more important to the church planter than anybody else. And I think it can also be said that you're more aware of everything than everyone else. The yep. website, the signs, the social media, you have to step back and realize sometimes that people no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you work, they're just not as aware as you are. Yeah. No. And like I said earlier, your goal isn't, those can't be your primary means of outreach. Uh, how you act and live and talk is going to be much different, or that's going to be much more effective in terms of your church's outreach, but you're doing with all of those things with any sort of, you know, promotions and, you know, some sort of outward face, you're just trying to help people that are already looking for you be able to find you successfully. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's like if you open, you open a taco shop in town and people that want tacos go looking for tacos, you want them to find you, right? Yeah, like, that's right. <laughs> right? This is the same dynamic. This, but if people aren't looking for tacos, they're not coming to your store anyways. Mm -hmm. uh, they're yeah. going to drive by, don't even know you exist. Yeah. Uh, and, and and that's this reality with with the church plant. Uh, those aren't those aren't outreach mechanisms. Those are just removal of barriers so people can find you. John, one thing that you mentioned earlier in this podcast is the numbers that you were looking for 
to identify when it was time to launch. We're in a different position because of COVID. People are not going to walk in the streets. Established churches are having a hard time getting people to come back. We're going to start worship as a core group, and we're just going to set a date for August and just move in that direction. So we're not going to have those those earmarks that we're looking for. So could you help us understand the what you guys were looking for in terms of launching your worship service? Yeah, I, I feel like we're kind of in the same spot uh, in in some ways that, uh, you know, there's there's different benchmarks that you might see in the church planning world. You need so many adults or so many total people if you include kids before you launch, because uh, if you don't, then, you know, blah, 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 you know. There's all of these kind of best practices. We'll put them out there that way. And what we ended up doing um, was basically we, our people had been prepared. We had gone through all of the you know meetings and discussed everything. Uh, and we realized we had enough people to begin pulling off service. And so that was really, it was being able to form those teams to know that you know, on any given week, we'll have a, somebody to play music. We'll have somebody to be a greeter. And maybe the greeter also has to be the usher, right? Like maybe we're kind of small. Um, but just knowing that we kind of had these key ideas of people in place uh, every Sunday and being able to, to actually do that, not only once, but in, in a sustainable way. And I think that's part of the ongoing reality after you launch is you might be able to pull off a service, even preview services monthly or some more informal things with your core group. But when you move to weekly worship, somebody's got to make coffee every week and somebody's got to set up chairs every week. And if it's the same person every week, that's not going to be a sustainable model. And uh, you need uh, lots of people, teams, you need to have on-ramps for new people to get involved. And so when I was looking to get things going with our group, it wasn't just that we had enough people to do it, but we kind of had, you know, a coordinator for each one of them. We had a setup coordinator and two or three or four people that said we'd be willing to help set up so that they can draw from those people. You know, we had musicians that would be able to rotate. And so there's just that sustainability question I think is really important because I think nothing would be more demoralizing than to start worship and have to stop. Uh, so you really want to make sure that you at least have, uh, at a bare minimum, you know, a healthy amount of people that are invested enough that they're showing up and they're serving every week. Hopefully this podcast has been helpful to many of you today. Thank you for listening. We hope you will spread the word about the Five Points Church Planting Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Boom. That's the last word for now. Thanks to Auxilio for sponsoring this episode. And thanks to you for listening. You can reach us with comments or questions on Twitter and Facebook at Five Points Planting or by email at fivepointschurchplanting at gmail.com. See y'all next time.